We've been uh, four weeks into a series called Thy Kingdom Come, and it's, um, it's, it's developing very nicely into a very good understanding of what it means to live for God. And um, some of you might know that we've been saying that you know, the king, Jesus didn't come to introduce us to a religion. Jesus did not come to introduce a new faith system to the world. Jesus came to bring his governance to earth. He came to reestablish what he had lost in the Garden of Eden. And so for those of you who've, uh, who've kind of read the Bible, you know that uh, God created mankind. And then he made a very specific statement in the beginning of Genesis, uh, at the end of Genesis, actually, Genesis 1. Um, he said this, let us make man in our image and let them rule over the earth. And that was a very significant statement because in that moment, God actually chose to limit himself on earth. He chose to work through mankind, not purely separate from mankind. Now we know and understand that God doesn't, um, he didn't give all authority in heaven and on earth to mankind, but he did give us operating authority, which means that you and I are responsible for what happens on earth. Sounds familiar? It is. And, 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 and so what we realize is that God ordained for his will and his way to be, excuse me, to be implemented through mankind on earth, which means that you and I cannot be just, you know, do whatever we want and think that there's going to be no consequence because we are the headship. Humanity is the headship of this creation. We are in, 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 in charge on earth. The Bible says in Psalms, you know, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. But we know God, you know, still upholds everything that exists. You know, we are currently spinning around a very fiery object at a, you know, breathtaking pace. And, 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 and God upholds everything. But the management of earth is our responsibility. And sometimes people mistake the concept of God's sovereignty for that man do not any longer carry responsibility on earth. And that, you know, we can just have the attitude of que sera, sera, you know, whatever will be, will be. At the end of the day, God is going to do what he wants to do. However, that may be true. It's only partially relevant to our existence here on earth because we have a direct influence and impact as to what happens here and how things go here. And that's not by accident or by sin, that's by God's design. God told Adam that he needs to multiply and subdue the earth. And then he planted a garden and he set up a system that Adam were to duplicate. And Adam were to take that and make the whole earth look like, like that through multiplying whatever he saw around him, how things were designed and structured to operate, and also through childbearing, through multiplying humanity. And transferring this mandate of responsibility to manage earth and its affairs onto every child and offspring that he would bear. Unfortunately, Adam decided to hand the authority of uh, what happens on earth over to the devil. Adam decided to disobey God. He decided to go against God's design and do what God had commanded them not to do instead of obeying and following uh, and enjoying the presence of God and walking with God and managing earth in the presence of God the whole time. He decided, look, let me do what I want to do 
and see what happens. Well, what happened was they were spiritually disconnected from God. They died spiritually. And we know they died not physically because here we all are. Um, and instead of God being able through a spiritual relationship with Adam to guide him in how to manage earth's affair, what ended up happening was sin and the work of Satan in the hearts of man started dictating how we do things. And what we know of the story of Scripture is that everything went chaotic from there. Sin spread over the whole earth. And at some point, God had to even almost do, uh, be, have a do-over. But sin remained even in the ones that restarted at Noah's flood. And man has always had struggle to submit to God's ordinances. And that's why we have such a hard time to obey God because there's two kingdoms at play. What happened at the cross was not just Jesus dying for our sins. It was Jesus going to hell and reclaiming the authority of earth's governance back from Satan. The Bible says he descended to the depths of hell and he reclaimed the keys of the kingdom of God. And, he, and then he started to re-implement his will and way on earth through a group of people that are now called the church. So where Adam walked with God, now the church walks with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's the same mandate. Multiply and subdue the earth. Let my kingdom be the pattern that you duplicate in everything you do. Let my will be done in everything you do. So hence, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And this is what he teaches them. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, in heaven, God's governance is perfectly applied. God's system of authority and his will and his way is perfectly lived out. On earth, not so much. And so that is our petition to God the whole time. Lord, let your kingdom come here. Let your kingdom come here. So wherever you see something that is broken, wherever you see something that is off, that's where God's kingdom is needed because when God's kingdom comes into a situation, it brings God's order, it brings God's outcome. Wherever in your life you are not seeing God's outcome, it's because the kingdom of God is not in rulership in your life in that area. And so Jesus comes not to just offer us salvation, but he says, look, for you to get my salvation, you need to receive me as the king. Because my salvation comes through my kingdom. It doesn't just come through, um, you know, I offer this to you and then, all right, you go and decide what you want to do with it. No, you come and live in my kingdom now. And now your, my will becomes your way because you submit yourself to the king's authority, to the king's rule. And so as we do that, we see people's lives getting healed. We see people's lives getting restored because the kingdom's process brings the kingdom's product. But you cannot expect the kingdom product if you don't follow its process. One of the most, most important parts of that process, the beginning part of the process, and that's by laying down your crown and putting and enthroning Jesus as the king of your life. It's called lordship. It's the place where I decide that I no longer call the shots over my life, but I submit my life to his leadership. And his word now instructs me as to how I should think, what my opinion about things are, and what my actions are going to flow, what actions are going to flow from that. So with that in mind, why we are doing the series, Thy Kingdom Come, because if it's my kingdom come, 
which is, as we've seen, the biggest challenge to thy kingdom come is my kingdom come. If each of us fight for my kingdom come, guess what? There's going to be utter chaos <laughs> in the whole earth. Because your kingdom and my kingdom doesn't have the same priorities. Your kingdom has you in the center of it. My kingdom has me in the center of it. And you know what? If I can't be in the center, we're going to have a problem. So guess what? Everybody has a problem with everybody. Why? Because we don't have a central figure who's in the center. That's why Jesus calls us to live our lives with Him in the center of our lives. My life are not dictated by my will, my opinions, my objectives, my goals, my bucket list. No. My life get dictated by the will of God from here on end. And Jesus' agenda for the earth becomes my first and foremost priority. Now I'm starting to live with eternity in mind because I realize that, hey, this life is not about me making a million dollars. This life is not about me becoming, um, you know, a powerful and mighty individual who gets all the status and acclaims from, from, from people. That's not what this life is about. This life is not a pursuit for status and wealth. This life is a pursuit to let the kingdom of God rule and reign in the hearts of men as it started ruling and reigning in mine. And in the process, I bow my knee more and more and more and more and more and more and more to the will of the kingdom. In every aspect, I find myself out of line with the kingdom of God. I say, yes, Lord, I will bow to you. Yes, Lord, I will, I will submit my will to your will. It's a process of you dying so that Jesus can live through you. It's a process of me laying down my life, picking up my cross, and following Him daily. That is what the kingdom of God is about. And that is what Christianity is about. So those who figure that they, you know, they can just, all right, good, you know, I'll go to church, you know, yeah, I'll say amen to the preacher, and then go out and live their lives in their own way, you've missed the whole point of Christianity. Because Christianity is not about Sunday services, it's not about going to heaven, and it's not even about um, just believing in Christ. Christianity is about God's kingdom coming to take over this, eterni- this, this, this world and, and ruling and reigning here. God's kingdom wants to reestablish God's rule and God's way on earth. And you and I are His agents. We're His ambassadors. We're vying for the king's and the king's opinions and His uh, agenda in a, in a different country. The Bible says we're not from here. So where are we from? We're from the kingdom of God. We are His ambassadors here on earth and it's your and my job and responsibility to model not what my own preferences are because that's not the job of an ambassador. An ambassador doesn't go to the, to the president or to the cabinet of you know, its host nation and goes like, you know what, the president says this, but let me tell you what I think. No, what you think is irrelevant. What the king thinks is the only thing that applies in this situation, right? Now, the king isn't, isn't oblivious to our challenges and he isn't um, you know, indifferent to our concerns and, 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 our, and, our, and our heartache. But for the king, if you do not come to him to help sort those things out, he will let you try it on your own. He will. He's not going to control your life. He's not going to dictate your life because he wants allegiance. He does not want slavery. So he will never come to you and dictate to you how you need to do things. He offers you his will and his way. And he says to you, if you will follow this, this will be the outcome. But if you choose not to, that will be the outcome. But the choice remains yours. I seek those who will worship me in spirit and in truth. In other words, they will do that out of their own volition. But they will do that because I am king. They will do that because they know that who, who I am, uh, they, they know who I am, and they want to submit their whole lives to me. So here we stand, and we've been doing church for so long, 
And so few of, very few people in church really understand that this is more about the kingdom of God and His will and way in society than it is about, you know, coming to Sunday services and, 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 and you know, trying to get rid of sin, etc., etc. Those things are actually things that just kind of fall by the wayside as you start pursuing the actual agenda of the kingdom, which is the expansion of God's will wherever you go. You see, there's that, there's that awesome song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You see, it's when we pursue His standards that I tend to just kind of forget that I was an addict. I just forget that I had you know, uh, proclivities for sin and patterns of sin because I'm no longer interested in that because I'm fully and totally consumed by His will for my life. I am perfectly pursuing His plan for my life. And so my will, my way, what I desired, what I liked, the things I did, it just don't interest me anymore because I've found a higher reality that contains life, that contains health, that contains joy and peace. And the Bible says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but in righteousness. It's in peace and it's in joy. That's where we find ourselves, the disposition of joy that I just, I have unspeakable joy. Nothing that happens in this election steals my joy, stole my joy. Nothing that's happening in the country can steal my peace because I'm not dependent on any of the things that goes around me for my joy and for my peace because I'm of the kingdom of God and He is stable. He's not changing. He's not going where. And you know what? He's still winning. Come on, y'all. It doesn't matter what's going on. The kingdom of God is still advancing. And guess what? You and I can fall into its wake, right? And follow in its slipstream and be, be literally pulled into that success, be pulled into that, 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 that momentum. Or we can try to do it on our own and face all the wind resistance, face all the resistance from the front on our own. Joyce is yours. Choice is yours. My opinion and my suggestion is step in line with the kingdom of God because that's where grace, that's where momentum, that's where things happen without you even having thought about it, worked for it. It just presents itself to you. You're walking in the unforced rhythms of God's grace, but you don't get to go there if you're still the Lord of your own life, if you refuse to submit and bow your knee to His way and to His will. So now I've preached a whole message without even touching my notes, but it needed to be said. Today I want to talk to you about how to deal with um, Satan's strategy. Satan's strategy is division. He wants us divided. He wants you and me divided. He wants us divided. He wants the community divided. He wants the country divided. He wants the world divided. That is his M.O., why? Because he's out to steal. He's out to kill. T John 10, 10 says, the, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan is not your buddy. He's your enemy. He's not here to give you a good time in life. He's here to kill you. He's here to take you out. He's coming to destroy your life. Not to give you, you know, nicer alternatives than to follow the will of God in your life. He's not your friend. He's your adversary, and he's coming to destroy our lives. His strategy is division. That's where it starts. You and me being separated, not talking anymore. Boom. But you know one of his greatest tactics? It's this little word called offense. It's a word, it's called offense. Mark 3, verse, and I, I wasn't able to confirm this after the first service. It's either verse 22, throw Mark 3 up there, 
or it's verse 25. I can't remember, <laughs> but it's definitely not verse 225 because Mark 3 don't have that many verses. But anyways, each one of those verses says the following. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Let me tell you that this church will not stand if we become divided against each other. There isn't a house that can, that can stand through division. Division is one of the most crippling things that can happen in a community. And God needs the church, the body of Christ, to be able to walk in unity for us to be able to say to the church, follow us, we have a solution. Because there's one thing the world cannot do, and that's create unity. <laughs> Whoever is saying that they're going to create unity... Come on. It's not going to happen. Because if you're in the center and I am in the center, there's going to be conflict. It's only when somebody that we both are willing to adjust to is in the center that there's a possibility remotely for unity to start taking place. And that's exactly what we have in the church. We have Christ seated at the right hand of God who is all of our king. And all of us need to adjust our lives toward him. I need a change. Everybody needs to change. We all need to start following Him and His way. And as we do that, we come into unity with each other. Um, so this applies to, man, so many areas of, of life. It applies to you and your children. It applies to you and your work colleagues, you and your, you and your spouse. Sad, Satan's strategy is, is, is division. And it, because he wants to destroy marriages. Let me say this to you. That marriages, family units, are what makes or breaks a society. They're the building blocks of a healthy society. The society we live in uh, is very challenged. Let me just say it euphemistically in this area. We have so many broken families. Let me say this to you. That family is the number one thing worth fighting for. The number one thing worth fighting for. I'm not bringing judgment on anybody or condemnation on anybody today. But I'm just saying this. That just because there's challenges in it doesn't mean we should reject the standard that God gives us. Right? Just because it's difficult to do it and we are failing at it doesn't mean we need to change the objective. We need to keep recognizing that this is God's will. God's will is for families to be, to be healthy, to be a father and a mother with children together. And I understand that some of you are beyond that. You're in blended family situations right now. What does God say to you? God's grace will abound over you. His grace is in His compassion will, 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 will completely overflow you if you are willing to allow Him to make the best of the current situation that you are in. And that will be to follow his original standard. How can I say that? Well, you're preparing children that's going to go into society. Don't let them think that the situation that you are in is God's will. Okay? As hard as it is, they have to realize and know that what God's will is so that they won't perpetuate our mistakes. 
They won't make the bad decisions we made that led to the situations that we are in. I know this is so hard for some of you to hear, but listen to me. There's life in it. Because your mistakes shouldn't destroy your child's life. Shouldn't make them also make the same mistake. But the only way they can do that is if you're willing to show them that you made mistakes that led to this situation that can be corrected if we follow Jesus, if we bow our knee to His will and way for this society. God's will for Acadia is still that families be healthy and that families still have a mom and a dad that both serve Jesus passionately and follow Him and model to their children how to do that. You're going to have to do your best to get as close as possible to that and explain to them where there's deficiency and why it is there and allow God the Father to come in and, 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 and make up for where there is deficiency and say to them, like, we can't do this because we, we don't have this because, you know, we've made mistakes, but we can make sure that it gets healthy because we're following Jesus together so that you guys will be better than what we were. I appeal to you, don't throw away the standard just to try and make and get, don't feel condemned about where you are, but also don't accept that as okay, as just that this, it should, it's okay if this continues to happen. I, 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 know, I know this is a hard one here today, but I really feel this is important for us to hear. Let God's standard remain the standard that we all adhere to and then we can all have grace and compassion for wherever anybody is there is absolutely place for everybody doesn't matter how blended and, 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 and sometimes weird and contentious the situation is but we have to acknowledge him as lord and if he's lord it's his way not our comfortable way will you hear my heart with this today and not take offense to what i'm saying because i'm going to talk about offense today by the way but it, it's really important that, we, that, 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 that you hear my heart about this today because that's the only way we look forward 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and we bring health and healing back in a society that is highly, highly broken up. Um, and it's sometimes because people are, are too afraid to say this, you know, that, that we just don't, we're not confronted with the truth. And if you don't have the truth, you'll remain in in. in, in, in I won't say a bondage, but you'll remain in a place of unfreedom. The truth sets us free. The truth sets us free. And it's sometimes hard, but the love of God comes to you at the same time as His truth comes to say, I will help you with this if you will submit to me. All right, so enough of that. Um, I want to I talk about offense today because Satan's tactic is to make us become offended. Okay, so let me, let me start off by reading Luke 17. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Jesus in this verse is preparing his disciples that, look, you're going to be offended in life. Things are going to happen that hurt you. Maybe some things that I said today hurt you. Tr- trust me, better are the... F- Better are the, um, what's that verse? Uh, better is the blows of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. 
You all remember that scripture verse? Better is the blows of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. Jesus said to them, offenses are going to come. It's impossible that no offenses would come. I think, sometimes I think we live in the United States of offense. You know, the USO. Everybody these days seem to be offended. <laughs> Everything, right? <laughs> you can say the nicest thing on earth and then somebody is offended that you didn't realize that that nice thing made somebody else feel bad. You know, uh, on social media. It's like people make statements and then everybody can, you can find something. If you want to be offended, you know, you're in luck because life is full of opportunities to be offended. Um, there's racial issues, there's political issues, you know. Um, <laughs> there is, you know, do we do exactly what the government tells us to do or don't we do exactly what the government tells us to do? If you say anything, somebody's offended, <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, imagine us having to come up with a church policy that <laughs> talks about how we respond to the COVID-19 thing and try to navigate all, everybody's responses to that. Crazy times, I tell you. It's really, really, really difficult. And yet in times like that, you have to revert to principle and just stick by it, whether it offends people or not. Because unless we live in truth, what rudder do we have in our ship? None. True? We have to take the truth and let it guide us, even though it leads us into uncomfortable waters. But the Bible says it's impossible that offenses would come. The word offenses there is the Greek word scandalon. It's where we get our word scandal from, but it really doesn't mean scandal. Actually, what it means, it means the bait that you put on a hook that nicely hides the hook that is attached to a line. You know? And the, the hook is attached to the line is attached to the pole. And the pole is in the hands of who? The fisherman, right? And so what he does is he, he places, come on, where's my fisherman? Place that hook right there in the lure in such a way that, you know, it does, it's, not, it's not conspicuous, right? And um, try to put it just right so it remains weed-free and everything. And then that little frog is, you know, flopped across the surface of the water with the hope that a, a big mouth bass will come out and just grab that, you know, that frog. And, and what does he do then? Well, you have to set the hook. So lineman, the fisherman pulls back and, and then he starts reeling. Does the fish just go... Oh, I'm caught. I'm just going to spend some time on the boat. Hopefully I'm not too big. No, the fish fights it, right? Just takes off anywhere. Takes off anywhere. It doesn't even make sense sometimes where he takes off to. He's, you know, just swims into his rocks and, and jumps over rocks and it's frantic. Because the fear gets a hold of him that he is being drugged to some place that he did not intend to go to. So this whole picture is, is so amazing because when you are experiencing an offense, you have an opportunity to do something. And if you do that, if you don't do that, literally what you're doing is you're taking that bait and a hook gets set in your life that is tethered to a pole that is in the hands of our enemy, Satan. And he's trying to pull you into his purposes, into his plan, and ultimately you'll end up as dinner. Do not think that this is a small thing. Offense is probably one of the most dangerous tools in the hand of our enemy. 
Because once that hook is set in your life, it doesn't matter how frantically you start running in every sort of direction to try and get away. If the fisherman is patient, he'll just, he'll just, he'll just work with your chaotic moment right there. But then he's going to start slowly but surely reeling you in. And you know, at times when you're really strong, you might let that line ring as it goes down the other way. And, 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 and at, at, for a brief moment, you might think that, hey, man, I'm free. You know? And then that line tightens up again. And slowly but surely. And you know, that can carry on for quite a long time. But eventually what happens to the fish? It grows tired. And so more and more, it just starts accepting the direction that the line is pulling it into. More and more, it just starts going with the flow of where everybody wants it to go. And before long, it's on the boat and it's dead out of the water. Some people's lives have been destroyed by this little thing called offense because they did not know how to deal with it. What are you offended about right now? Let me tell you this. It's busy pulling you into Satan's plan for your life. And that plan leads to destruction. Don't take the bait. Offense is an event, but being offended is a decision. It's a decision. And even if you were offended, even if you did take the bait, there is a way for you to get out of it, but you're going to have to acknowledge some things first. But let's talk about this. Offense is an event, but offended is a decision. Proverbs 19 verse 11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience, and it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. And when I read this, I, I, I realized that man has glory. You know what our glory is? God's glory is His perfect being, His perfect will and nature and character expressed. That's His glory. When He shows us who He is in a situation, He reveals to us His glory, His goodness, His grace, His compassion. All those things are part of the glory of God that gets revealed to us. How He loved humankind, His plan for us, how He wants to have a relationship with us. All of that explains to us the glory of God. Which is why the Bible talks about a glory that was hidden, which is Christ in us. Our hope of glory. What does that mean? It means that when we accept Jesus on the inside of our hearts, we get to become who we were meant to become, children of God. We get to become what we were, what we were always meant to be. And I'm not saying the best you that you can be. No, no, I'm saying who God called you to be. Okay, Because there's a big difference between be the best you that you can be versus be who God has called you to be. And so often we've taken that other little line you know, to go and say, All right, you know, I need to you know, sacrifice things around me so that I can be the best I, that I should be. Not realizing that that in itself is also a trap from the enemy. If you pursue God's purposes in your life correctly, every other part of your life will thrive. I'm, I'm serious with this. You career men who are pursuing careers, if you are pursuing God's purposes correctly, you won't have to sacrifice your family over your career, through your career, to reach what, God, what, what you need to reach through your career. You can have a thriving life in all aspects of it. Don't believe the lie that you need to, for a season, just be absent, not be involved, and just pursue the money, pursue the career, do what's necessary to advance there, and think that through that, 
you're going to do what's right to your family. You're not. You're absent. Strike one. God wants you to thrive in every aspect of your life. And if you pursue Him, you will. And you will have success in what you touch, what your hands touch. So God wants us to reach our glory. Okay? He wants us to become everything that He has called us to become. But if you take an offense to something, that thing starts pulling your soul in a direction that you don't want to go and that's causing you to not become who God has caused you to become. And so it is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. You will not become who Jesus asked you and uh, called you to be if you are taking offense to the things that are happening around you. And let's be honest, the people often closest to us are the people often who offends us the most. And so if offense is, <laughs> it's a reality. It's, it's not easy to take offense. Oh, sorry, it's not easy to, it, it is easy to take offense. It's not easy to avoid offense. But if you do, know this, that you're literally freeing yourself to become what God has called you to become and to experience the fullness of the life that He intended for you to become. Remember what the thief came to do. He came to steal, to kill and to destroy. And He is purposefully, intentionally drawing your heart into things, drawing your mind away from the things that you should be focusing on to get you, to feel, even to feel justified that I, can, and I should do this right now, to get you out of your purpose and to kill, steal, and destroy your marriage, relationship with your children, your work, and eventually your life. God wants us to live in a different reality than this reality. He wants us to live in the kingdom of God where everything that is pursued according to His will ends up becoming a product that glorifies, God's life, that glorifies God. Okay, so the second thing I want to say that is offenses start small, but they never stay small. So sometimes we think like, I can just ignore this. You know, it'll go away. It's not going to go away. Offenses don't just disappear. They have to get dealt with. The fish might think, you know what, I don't have a hook in my mouth. And maybe for a brief moment in time, something happens to the fisherman. The line, the pole drops and, and he has to recover the pole. And in that time, all of a sudden, the tension is off the line. And the fish free, freely swims around. And he's ignoring the fact that there's a hook, but the hook's not doing anything to him right now. He can go wherever he wants to go. He can do whatever he wants to do. How do we do that? We say, oh, you know what, I'm just going to forget about that. I, I'm just going to, you know, just put it behind me. I'm just going to forget about it. Um, you know what, it didn't happen. It's all good. It's all good. Didn't happen. I'm just going to move on with my life. If you try to deal with an offense in your heart like that, no doubt, within a short season, that guy's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be right back up there, <laughs> pulling on that line. And all of a sudden, you're going to find yourself moving into things that you shouldn't be moving into because you're still dealing with stuff that you have not, you still have a hook in your mouth. God wants us to deal with offenses, okay? not just ignore them. Uh, in Matthew 5, verse 23 and 25, it says the following, If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, um, verse 24, I think, says, Leave that gift right there, and go and be reconciled with your brother. 
then come and offer your gift to God. God is so serious about you dealing with offenses in your heart that He will, he will delay you worshiping Him for you to first go and be reconciled with this person and deal with that offense in your heart. You know what that tells me? That tells me how much God loves me. God is more concerned about the fact that I have something in my mouth that's going to make me get destruction in my life than He is about me worshiping Him. That's how much God loves us. He wants you to go deal with that. But this is what 25 says. Verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. See, in verse 23, it talks about, you know, somebody has, a, some, your brother that has something against you. See how quickly things escalate with offense. So all of a sudden, in verse 25, he, now he's your accuser. Now he's your adversary in court. Offenses don't stay small. They have to be dealt with. So maybe this is not for you who are here right now. Okay? <laughs> uh, but let me just say this. That so many times people end up feeling that they have to disassociate with church family because of offenses. So just think of this as you, maybe two, three years down the line, you forget this sermon and you take offense. I pray that the Holy Spirit will remind you in that moment where that is going to lead. Because for certain, it's going to leave with you disassociating. Because you're going to start feeling that, hey, I can't come there because that guy's going to be there. Deal with the offense so that it doesn't end up guiding your life to destruction. Number three, offense is the response of our culture but forgiveness is the response of the kingdom. So how do we deal with offense? How do we get that hook out of our, out of our soul? The solution lies in forgiveness. I want to talk about this for the rest of the sermon. Forgiveness is incredibly powerful. Let's start with looking at how Jesus walked in forgiveness. Jesus is um, literally being handed over to the, to the uh, Roman authorities and they're being questioned and he's being interrogated by them. And one of his responses to uh, Pilate is this, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Imagine this. Imagine the accusation that came against Jesus, right? They told him that he was the devil. I don't know about you, but for me, <laughs> the way I view that, that's like, that's like the worst insult you can give the Son of God. It's like, you're not God, you are the devil. <laughs> you're the exact opposite. You're the one that, that is, is completely your antithesis. They equate you to that person. I mean, that is highly, highly offensive in, in my view. You are heretical. You're dishonoring God and you are basically blaspheming against God. You know how big an insult that is to Jesus to tell him that he's blaspheming against his father. That's, that's radical. That's radical because his father is all he came to please and to obey. And so they're accusing Jesus of the exact opposite of everything that he stood for and was. Yet Jesus remains completely unoffended 
in this moment. Faithful to the point of death where he says to, the, uh, to God on the cross, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He's able to live in a reality that is literally separate from and, and superior to the physical world that we live in. He's able from that reality to understand that these people are acting out of ignorance. They have no clue what they're doing. And it helps him to stay unoffended and not take the bait to let Satan have his way. If Jesus in that moment responded with any form of bitterness in his heart, he would have lost his opportunity to become our Savior. Let me say this to you. Opportunities are lost through offense. Many opportunities for God to bring healing to your heart, for God to bring health to your life, is lost because you're still offended. We live in a kingdom that is designed to win. You are, if you believe in Christ, part of a winning team. You staying offended is you losing out on the very essence of the, what this kingdom is about. This kingdom is an overcoming kingdom. And yet you are being controlled by something that somebody did to you. So, Jesus knew that they were ignorant because he lived from a greater reality. Listen to me. In this life, we have to start living with an eternal perspective. If you live with an eternal perspective, you are not phased by what's currently going on in politics. My kingdom is still advancing. God's kingdom is still winning. God's kingdom is still in rulership over my heart. And wherever I go, I can exert that authority to let His kingdom come and His will be done. And if it does, we win. Because that's the agenda of God in earth, on earth is for His kingdom to come here in the lives of, and hearts of men. I don't see that stopping. But who's in the office, in the Oval Office? In fact, I think that might cause some people to run to church. Like things are looking right now. We'll see. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that the kingdom of God offers right thinking. It offers peace. It offers joy. And it is, it is completely separate from what is happening around us. My joy is not affected by what is currently happening in the world. My peace is not affected by what's currently happening in the world. Because I've not connected any of those emotions to the futile you know, uh, 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 temporal existence that we're in. I connect it to God and His purposes. And if Jesus is still on the throne, we're going to be okay. And we're going to continue to do what He wants us to do during this life. So I can make allowance for other people's ignorance. Guys who says things on social media that I find offensive. People going, <laughs> quick, a quick internal thing. Uh, I have a friendship group. Like we have a, like a group app messaging thing. And uh, it, there's everything from very liberal to very conservative in our, in our friendship group, on that group, right? So one guy makes the comment, I can't believe how many Christians vote for Biden. <laughs> right? So the other guy, he's just like, what? 
Are you serious? I can't believe you'd say that. How can any Christian vote for Trump? And boom, there this blows up this whole debate and thing on our little communication group. And this guy gives his reasons to why you can't vote for Biden. And this guy gives his reasons why you can't vote for Trump and be a Christian. And I'm sitting there, and here's what I type. Backing away slowly. <laughs> Disappearing into the background. <laughs> Poof. Dodge the bullet. <laughs> I did not even engage that because it was so emotional and it was so ignorant of a lot of things. Speaking past each other, not comparing apples with apples and basically just taking offense to what the other person has said. <laughs> it happens like that. But if you're living from a Greater reality called the kingdom of God. You can make allowance for people's ignorance. Colossians 3 verse 13 says this, Therefore make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Forgive anyone who offends you. Because you not forgiving them is going to adversely affect you more than anybody else. Let me tell you about forgiveness. Do you find it easy to forgive? I don't. I don't find it easy to forgive because I'm, I'm, really, I'm, I'm a human. And you know what? I feel that you know, something needs to happen. This can't keep on happening. Or if that person said something, he has to do something. He has to realize that he was wrong. So here's why it's so difficult to forgive, I believe. I think the first reason it's difficult to forgive is because, it's because we forget our own <laughs> depravity. We think we're better than that person. I'm just honest. That's why it's difficult to forgive. Because you think you're better than that person. Because when you do realize that you're basically just as bad as that person, you can make allowance for his ignorance, allowance for his mistake. See, we forget that irritating verse in the Bible that says, hey, deal with the log in your own eyes before you start questioning the speck in your brother's eye. That's an irritating verse, right? I think we'll highlight that with a black marker. No, it's the truth. You see, if I realize that just a couple of minutes ago, I might have offended another person, that my decisions to do something that I felt was right and justified to do may have hurt somebody, I realize that when I'm offended, I need to forgive. I put myself in the right mindset if I realize my own brokenness to forgive. See, if I think I'm better than that person, it's really hard to forgive. But when I realize my own brokenness, I go, yeah, that hurt, but I've, I've, done, I've done that and worse probably. Now that isn't forgiveness. That just puts you in the right mindset. The second reason why it's so difficult to forgive is this. We want justice. I want justice. I want that guy to say he's sorry before I'm willing to let him go, right? Because listen, if, I don't, if, he, if, he, if he doesn't know he was wrong, he's just going to keep doing this to people, right? So I have to keep him on a short leash so that, so that he, will, he will change. Otherwise, this, you know, who's going to stop him from doing this if, if nobody is holding him to account? Right? We want justice. And we think that we need justice to forgive. 
That's not true. That's not true. You don't need justice to forgive. Because you need to release justice to God. In Hebrews 10, God says, It's my mind to avenge. I will repay. The Lord will judge His people. It's not your and my job to let justice come in every single situation where offenses happened. It's your and my job to forgive people who have offended us and to make allowance for their mistakes. And that verse says, anyone who has made the mistake, anyone who offended you. We like to hold on to justice because we think justice will make the pain go away. We think justice will bring healing to our souls. It does not. Justice cannot bring you healing. Forgiveness brings you healing. Now don't get me wrong. If there's to be relationship between us again, and if there's to be trust between us again, there has to be justice. There needs to be repentance and reconciliation and restitution for relationship to be able to thrive. But forgiveness comes before all that. Forgiveness is you saying, Lord, I'm entrusting the justice of this situation to you. I'm not going to fight for it. In fact, I am going to declare that person free of obligation toward me. What does that mean? That means they don't owe you an apology anymore. You're not expecting anything of them. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't trust. Forgiveness is forgiveness. It's letting the debt go. When you set that person free, you suddenly realized, you suddenly realized that you were actually the prisoner of this matter. You were held by it so bad. It was pulling you. It was manipulating you. It was dictating to you how you could feel. It was influencing you so bad. But when you let it go, all of a sudden, God's peace, God's joy, God's healing, God's way of thinking just returns to you and you suddenly see his perspective again and you see yourself free to just pursue him again to just forget about that and no longer let that dominate and dictate your existence any longer you see the offense caused you to be a victim but you're com- you were complicit in staying a victim by not letting the offense go God does not want any victims in his kingdom he wants victors 
And so he has set his principles up in such a way to lead you to victory over doesn't matter the most horrible or horrific of offenses that might have been dealt to you. Let me tell you what happens when you decide to forgive. All of a sudden, the hook gets removed from your soul and the wound can start healing. God can start speaking to you again His purposes and plan for your life. And you can start accepting that again. In fact, you're able to actually bow your knee to Him and to His leadership again in that situation. What happens is not just does the hurt of the situation go away, go away, but your identity starts being restored as a son of God, as a daughter of God who's been empowered to live in His victory. Your mindset starts changing again to somebody that is not a victim, but somebody that is a victor. You start seeing yourself as an overcomer, not as a prisoner. When you're able to forgive somebody, you can recognize that your emotions were shattered. But the Bible says that He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. And you can start seeing yourself as healed and bound up. When somebody took something from you that jeopardized your well-being, whether it was financially or whether it was emotionally, you were a victim. And what happened to you wasn't right but making the conclusion that your life is going to be tough and rough and destroyed because of that for the rest of your life that's not right either because God wants you to see that once you've let him take care of that situation you can hear again that he says to you I'm your provider and I will supply all your needs I will restore you I will restore what the enemy has stolen unto you. But until you let go of that offense, you can't receive anything. It's counterintuitive. But isn't that how the kingdom works? Almost in everything? Sometimes we go through traumatic things. That involves abuse and death and things that are too horrible to even speak of. Let me say to you today that you can walk free of the hurt, the disappointment, the fear, the confusion, the anxiety, the depression that comes as a result of experiencing such trauma. But it starts with you taking a step of faith and letting God deal with with the justice and you declaring that person or those offenders obligation free toward you I know this is difficult to hear but this is going to make some people here today free I want to pray over you now 
But I want to ask you, what offenses have you taken to things that people have done to you, people have said? I sometimes took offense in a, in a, in a retail store and vowed never to go back there. <laughs> God spoke to me about that. He said, well, what if you need something from there? Are you not going to go, no, I'm not going to buy it there. I'm going to drive an hour to another town and buy it there. Release that. It's destroying your life. It's taking, it's making it complex. What offenses have you taken? That God wants you to declare those offenders today. Obligation free to forgive them. Let me tell you this. God is serious about justice. God died for justice. Jesus, his story, it's a story of justice. Somebody had to pay for all of our sin. And he offered himself to do it so that justice can prevail, so that you and I can have access into heaven without facing the penalty of our sin. He can't just grant it to us. That makes him an unjust God. Somebody had to die. Somebody had to be punished for our offense. God is serious about justice. Let me tell you, He will let justice prevail in your situation. It's not going to happen the way you want it or when you want it. But that's what it means to trust Him. Let it go. Let Him deal with it. Sit there right where you are. Close your eyes and bring that offense before the Lord. And pray this prayer after me. Not, not aloud. Just pray this in your heart. Father, we, we want to come today and we want to release these offenses to you. Lord, we set free, we forgive, we decide to forgive the people who have hurt us, who took from us. Lord, we declare today that they don't owe us anything, they don't owe us an, they don't owe us an apology, they don't owe us anything, Lord God. If I don't get back what they took from me ever again, from them it's going to be okay I don't hold them to account any longer I set them free and I entrust them to you to deal with them justly Lord God I believe that you will deal and you will let justice prevail but today I set them free I forgive them Lord, I place my trust in you and I ask you to heal my heart. Thank you that I know that your promises will restore back to me what the enemy has stolen. I put my faith in you for what I must receive in this life. I know that you are my source for everything. My expectation and my hope is in you from this day forward to be healed, to be bound up, to be restored, to be strengthened again to a place of completeness. Whatever was taken from me, I declare that my God will restore me. My God will heal me, fill me, up to overflowing. I will not lack any bit anymore because my God will supply all my needs. I declare that with faith in my heart today. I thank you that you bring me back to the original place that you wanted me to be, Lord God. Filled with you, empowered by you to go out and be a difference, make a difference. 
go out and become who you meant for me to become. I will no longer be dictated to by this event that took place in my past. I will no longer be told what I can and cannot do based off of this event that happened in my past because you define my future, because you define my identity. You say who I am and I believe it. You say what I'm about and I believe it. You call me into what I need to go and I will respond, Lord God. I'm here to follow you and leave all that behind. Today, I pray that in the name of Jesus. If that was for you, say amen. If you prayed that prayer, you place your agreement with that prayer today, God will release you and you will walk free. Sometimes the offender was me. And today is the time, today is the moment that you have to forgive you too. Coming to terms with our own mistakes is probably the hardest thing to do in life. Because we are so aware of the consequences because we can blame nobody else. It's just me. In that too, God wants you to do the same. You have to forgive you and tell yourself you don't have to make up for it. You can receive God's grace just for you. And God will help you deal with the consequences. He can redeem the strangest, most difficult and complex of situations. But He needs your He needs you to set Him in charge. And you do that by handing the justice and the dealing with it over to Him, not trying to figure it out on your own. Forgive you today. Father, I forgive me for all the wrong decisions I made and all the things that I brought on myself. I receive your grace today, Lord. And I pray that you will bring restitution, that you will redeem my mistakes. And you will restore me. And you will help me make right with anybody else whom it affected. Thank you that you give me everything I need to make it right with them. I pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. God's desire is truly for us to live powerfully and live free. And this week as you go about your day and you find more things that you, f- you realize you're offended at it, pray the same prayer. Release it to God. Declare the offender debt free towards you. And you'll start seeing your life just, your whole experience and atmosphere out your life is going to start changing. Hope is going to reignite. You're going to start seeing all the possibilities and opportunities that God has before you. You're going to live free. I really pray that over each and every one of us here today. Amen.